Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Season 2 of the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. Welcome to those who are here for the first time, and a hearty welcome back to the LCP faithful. What we do here is look at what the mainstream media feels is important to tell us about current events, politics, science, religion, and just about anything else, but we're not interested in their spin. We want to look at these stories logically, and we especially want to look at these stories as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you'd like to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. You know, sometimes you just need some space. You need your space. You just need people to get up off your back and let you be you for a bit. But in today's world, it seems like we're just under the microscope by everyone. Surveilled, stalked, some would say judged, and told what to do by everyone. If only we had the right to make our own decisions and and just live our own lives. Maybe even with a few minutes of actual privacy. Ah, that's just old speak. On today's episode, first we'll analyze an analysis that analyzed why your personal choices hurt others. And then we'll blow some more dust off that old document and discover that our desire for privacy might actually be okay. So, strap on your crash helmet and lock the door and close the blinds because he... Oh, and remember, after the ending bumper music, my personal private goals. Update number one. Now here we go. You didn't believe our government overlords when they told you the COVID so-called vaccines were safe and effective. You didn't believe them when they told you it would stop the spread. You didn't believe them when they told you it would allow everyone to just get back to normal. You didn't believe them when they told you it was your social, ethical duty to your fellow man. You didn't seem to even care that you were responsible for a pandemic of the unvaccinated. You didn't believe our various religious elite when they told you getting injected was necessary in order to love your neighbor. You refused to give in to the threats and the bullying and the intimidation. But now, now, you horrible person, you, you just want people to die in traffic accidents. Oh, yes, you heard me. Because of your hate, your callousness, your disdain for others, your arrogant self-centeredness, found on Fortune magazine via news.yahoo.com, headline, people who skipped their COVID vaccine are at higher risk of traffic accidents, according to a new study. You, sir or madam, or, or other, are a monster. Now, I do need to apologize. This article came out in mid-December. I was sifting through the many, many links and screenshots I've saved to see what sparked my curiosity, and I found or refound this one. Unfortunately, I have no idea how many people were injured or killed on the roads during all of the holiday travel because you thought it was fine to not get your COVID vaccine shot jab injection booster to the fourth power before driving because I was negligent in my self-imposed duty to uh, tell you things and stuff. Of course, I'm somewhat absolved of my guilt as we all knew quite well that the only people that should have been traveling anywhere outside of their own homes during the holidays were people that were fully vaxxed and boosted and masked and with an appropriate government-certified distancing stick to not only keep people away, but also break out the windows of whatever home you're in if the owners refuse to allow the free flow of fresh, virus-killing air into the house. All that said, this article highlights the findings that were, well, I guess found, in a study conducted by the American Journal of Medicine. So as not to distort the purpose of this study, I'm going to read a few things directly from their study. The background reads as follows, quote, 
Coronavirus disease, COVID, vaccine hesitancy, is a reflection of psychology that might also contribute to traffic safety. We tested whether COVID vaccination was associated with the risks of a traffic crash. Now, we'll get to the conclusions in time. We need to unwrap this little delicious snack nice and slow-like. Let the excitement, the anticipation build. The methods they used were, I mean, need I just say, rock solid. Quote, We conducted a population-based longitudinal cohort analysis of adults and determined COVID vaccination status through linkages to individual electronic medical records. Traffic crashes requiring emergency medical care were subsequently identified by multi-center outcome ascertainment of all hospitals in the region over a one-month follow-up interval, 178 separate centers. I think that paragraph clearly speaks for itself, but now just for a hoot, knowing that Yahoo News speaks to a lower intelligence audience, let's just for fun, mind you, a lark, if you will, read how they summarize that previous paragraph, just to see how the other half processes this very basic information. Quote, During the summer of 2021, Canadian researchers examined the encrypted government-held records of more than 11 million adults, 16% of whom hadn't received the COVID vaccine. Now, from there, we can understand that they were able to tie vac status with traffic accidents, apparently. Now, they did gather a lot of data on these 11-plus million adults, but... Data they were unable to obtain included, quote, driver skill, functional status, personality traits, traffic infractions, political affiliation, and self-identified ethnicity. Huh. See, when speaking of traffic accidents, some of those seem to be important to this kind of a study. Ah, no matter. So the findings were that out of the over 11 million people, there were 6,682 traffic accidents. The 16% unvaxxed accounted for 25% of the accidents. The 84% vaxxed were responsible for the other 75% of the accidents, proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you're not vaxxed, you have a 172% chance of being in an accident as compared to the vaxxed. Now... Go get jabbed, and then jabbed again, then boosted, and then boosted, then boosted, then bivalent boosted, and pop baby aspirin like Tic Tacs to try and keep that blood flowing. Their basic conclusion is, quote, These data suggest that COVID vaccine hesitancy is associated with significant increased risks of a traffic crash, and awareness of these risks might help to encourage more COVID vaccination. Oh, I bet it doesn't, though, but maybe, but no, I don't think it probably will. Now, in their full study, they admit that being vaccinated against Dr. Fauci's lab-grown snake venom peptide-containing accidentally-released virus doesn't affect traffic accidents directly. They didn't use all of those exact words, but you get the gist. But what they do surmise is that if you're such a meathead, a rubble, a, a, a troublemaker, that you wouldn't get the vaccine, even though you clearly know it's the only right thing to do. Well, quote, we theorized that individual adults who tend to resist public health recommendations might also neglect basic road safety guidelines. Uh-huh. Now, jumping back to Yahoo for a moment, they state, quote, Why would they ignore the rules of the road? Distrust of the government? A belief in freedom? Misconceptions of daily risks? Faith in natural protection? Antipathy toward regulation? 
poverty, misinformation, a lack of resources, and personal beliefs are all potential reasons proposed by the authors. The study also lists some possible vaccine hesitancy causes as, quote, political identity, negative past experiences, limited health literacy, or social networks that lead to misgivings around public health guidelines. Oh, oh if we could only regulate that information. Ah! And lest you guffaw or harumph at the scientific findings, they did statistical analysis, and, and they cross-checked things, and they did follow-ups, etc. And yeah, you, the unwashed, unclean, irrational, unvaxxed, you're just dangerous on the roads. So... What are we to do besides hunt these unvaxxed down like dogs and either force injections into them or disappear them? Which, let's be honest, if you believe that your body means your choice in anything besides killing a baby, you're just sick and you deserve to be medically raped with a syringe or medically disposed of. Those aren't the suggestions the, the study suggested, but come on, we're all thinking it. Now, they first go on to list all the limitations of their study, all the factors that should go into both vaccination choice and driving that they couldn't account for. To their credit, they do actually state, quote, a limitation of our study is that correlation does not mean causality. Yes. Now, Fortune or Yahoo, whichever one, doesn't state that directly, but, uh, but yes, correlation does not mean causation. The Fortune Yahoo article paraphrases the study recommendations as, quote, the findings are significant enough that primary care doctors should consider counseling unvaccinated patients on traffic safety, and insurance companies might base changes to insurance policies on vaccination data, the authors suggest. First responders may also consider taking precautions to protect themselves from COVID when responding to traffic crashes, the authors added, as it's more likely that a driver is unvaccinated than vaccinated. Quote, the findings suggest that unvaccinated adults need to be careful indoors with other people and outside with surrounding traffic. <laughs> so there you have it. Choosing to not get the vax is, in fact, literally choosing to have an accident on the road. Case closed. Or let's revisit the statement correlation does not equal causation. Case in point, every night I set the alarm on the house and make sure the front door is locked. I have never had a dragon fly over my house in the middle of the night and burn it to the ground. Therefore, in ergo and heretofore, locking the front door and setting the alarm keeps dragons away. Right? Oh, but Dan, you say, dragons aren't real? Oh, well, touche. But the point stands. Pick two things, any two things, draw a conclusion. The fact that they did statistical analysis and follow-up studies and also etc. doesn't mean that the two are related in any way. Now, I'll admit, their theories that those of us that have chosen not to partake of the chemical mRNA genetic therapy injection may be more cavalier in our attitudes that premise might hold water, but there would have to be some very carefully conducted studies with a massive amount more of backing data in order to draw that conclusion. This is not what the American Journal of Medicine did, however. Although they do admit limitations, and they do admit the trouble in drawing a specific conclusion, the fact is their premise contained the hoped-for conclusion, as they are already biased to wanting everyone to get this shot. This is called begging the question. They started with the end in mind. Then because they started with the desired conclusion in mind, they fell prey to confirmation bias. The idea that if something supports your theory, 
you'll accept it more readily. Further, they experience belief bias, the idea that you will not only accept but rationalize data that appears to support your premise. And finally, they have perpetuated the fallacy of false cause, which is presuming a perceived relationship between things means one cause the other. Like I said, they may actually have something here, but they don't have the findings to support their possible conclusion because they're lacking a ton of necessary background data. The bottom line is that this paper should never have been written or published. They're trying to evoke an, an emotional response from those that read it. They're trying to use it as yet another manipulative cudgel to beat the anti-vaxxers over the head with, and they're putting their inconclusive conclusions out there as more mud for the vaxxed to try to sling at the rest of us. It should have never been published. That said, there's actually some interesting data in the study that I think we should look at. Raw data that the American Journal of Medicine decided to, I guess, kind of ignore. Although, to be fair, some of this data had nothing to do with the intent of the study, so they wouldn't mention it. But some of it, I think, definitely does, which they give kind of a cursory mention to, but they don't really pull that out as specific factors in the study. So looking at their first table, baseline characteristics, we see that 50% of the non-vaxxed in the study are in the age range of 18 to 39, as opposed to only 32.3% of the vaxxed. The middle range of 40 to 64 years old have 5% more in the vaxxed than the non-vaxxed, and ages 65 and above are biased 25.4% for the vaxxed and only 12% for the non-vaxxed. Well, right there we know from literally all driving data and statistics that the younger drivers are more apt to take chances when driving, more apt to speed, etc. We also know from a COVID-vax standpoint, the younger demographic would be more likely to not get the vax, as they weren't as affected by the virus, even with the media-government partnership in manipulating the data, they were still nowhere near as affected. We know that when you get to the very old, accidents happen at a higher rate, but, but not 65 years old. I, I think we'd have to get to, what, 75 or older before we really see a statistical bump? And how many in their data set are of that age? Well, there's no way for us to know that. So the data, just based on age, is horribly biased and would definitely need to be factored into the findings. Male and female are fairly evenly split, as are urban and rural. There's more of a bias toward lower income for the unvaxxed and the vaxxed, about a 9 percentage point difference. Then we get into the previous medical diagnoses, and I'll only highlight those that have a relatively significant difference. The vaxxed had 4.5% more with diabetes. Think more likely to get the vax because of their pre-existing conditions. And they had 1.6% versus 0.6% with dementia. I'll be honest, not shocking. A study came out a few years back looking at the mental health of those that self-classify as politically right, center, or left. Those on the left, who incidentally are more likely to vax and boost and boost and boost, were significantly more mentally unstable than those in the center or the right. The unvaxxed were more apt to be depressed, 14.2% to 12.5%, which, think about it, they're the younger generation. They got hit harder by the lockdowns, etc. They were being bullied by everyone to take the vax. Of course they were more depressed. My only shock is that it wasn't a larger percentage, to be honest. The vaxxed had a 4.6% higher rate of hypertension and a 2.8% higher rate of cancer. Again, think pre-existing conditions. And my favorite, the vaxxed had a 4.1% to the unvaxxed 3.5% having had prior COVID infection. Now, no info on if this was pre-vax, post-vax. I just kind of find that interesting. 
Finally, the vaxxed were somewhat more likely to visit a doctor at a clinic, think scheduled appointments, I believe, whereas the unvaxxed were slightly more likely to have to visit the ER. Again, age would play a large role in this one, I would think. Now, personally, I'd rather we study something like why is the younger unvaxxed generation at a higher level of depression, but that's my bias. And I can already tell you that I could conclude it's because of the knee-jerk overreaction to an unknown virus, well, unknown exactly, at least by us, definitely known by Fauci and his ilk, and the media hysteria along with the Tweedledee Tweedledum show of Fauci and Burks every time you turned on the TV or pulled up a news site. The bottom line is what I've said before, data is only as good as the data analyst, and any data analyst worth their salt should be able to take a set of data, slice it and dice it, and come up with a half a dozen conclusions that all contradict each other and are all defensibly correct based on the data. An honest analyst will draw reasonable conclusions based on real data, starting with legitimate premises, and if the data doesn't fit the premise, you allow the data to speak. You don't push your agenda to the forefront. In fact, an honest, logical data analyst wouldn't have undertaken this kind of study in the first place, at least in my opinion. But when you know for a fact that the only people that don't get the vax are the stupid, the poor, the criminal, and the clinically insane, then everything must be the fault of those people. What they mentioned in the study, not in the article, probably just an oversight, is that the number of accidents for the 11 plus million people was consistent with the number of accidents before COVID in a comparably sized population. So basically, accidents happen. And since we don't know what the accident rate would have been, as well as the accident split with this group of people before the entire COVID and injection debacle, like I said, this study should have never been undertaken and should have never been published. What we have with the American Journal of Medicine, at least in this case, and I don't know about anything else they've done, is a disingenuous team crafting a narrative by carefully analyzing the data with the conclusion firmly in mind prior to starting the study. I'd have to wonder if this paper would have been published if they found nothing, or if they found that the vaxxed were more likely to have accidents. I also wonder if they're working on a paper that discusses the massive number of airline pilots or athletes or young people that are suffering strokes, heart-related issues, fertility problems, and or death as compared to the norm prior to the clot shot. I bet they aren't. Bottom line, commandment number nine is all we really need to cover here. Boil down, don't lie! I'm not saying that this group perpetrated an outright falsehood, but whether consciously or not, they definitely set out to prove a point. Try to publish another win for the agenda of choice. As Christians, and I'd hope as humans, we need to be above board in our dealings. This extends to our jobs, and if you're in a career as I am that requires the gathering, crunching, analyzing, and reporting of data, we must do our job ethically and morally despite the perceived positives or negatives of that analysis. This can apply to life as well. If we know the truth, we should be telling the truth, even to ourselves. We all deal with loads of data every day. Everything you do, read, hear, see, smell, touch, or taste is data. If we don't feel like we normally feel, that's data. If the car stumbles and you don't remember it doing that before, that's data. If your kid or kids aren't acting in a way that you would consider to be normal, that's data. I read a book a while back entitled The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. I'd recommend it. As part of his premise, he explained how humans are the only creatures that discount our feelings of fear. When dogs meet someone, for example, they don't trust them. They hunch up, bare their teeth, growl, or do whatever, bark, right? And when we meet someone that we don't trust, we tell ourselves that we're silly and being judgmental and everything is fine. 
This is data. We ignore the data. We start with the conclusion we desire or have been told to expect and work backwards to make the data fit. This is not who we're called to be. We must be honest with ourselves, with others, in our dealings, in our jobs, everywhere. Now, I've said all this, and I just must come clean on something. (sighs) After the Christmas holiday trip back up to see my family, after cars were packed and my sister and one niece, the last two remaining to head back home from that family, went one way, I, all alone, went the other way, You can probably surmise that none of us chose to get the Fauci-ouchie. And my sister, well, she wrecked the car. Total it, she did, which proves this study absolutely 100% correct, is what I'd say if I was one of them. Thankfully, they were both all right. Just very minor injuries and a laptop that didn't have a good day. Other than that, the black ice did its thing. The car did its job. Nobody involved in that accident was seriously injured. My brother-in-law and my other niece drove back after driving home the day before to get them and things are working out okay. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And I thanked God over and over that his plan was for them to be okay. Selfishly, I'm not ready to lose my sister or anyone in her family. I love them all, probably more than they know, definitely more than I say. Stop me if you've heard this one. Get out of my room. Yeah, so I'm a little brother. I heard this one from time to time pretty much every week when I was growing up. Now that I'm a father of a teenage daughter... I get to relive those moments, except now I explain to her, this is my room. I'm allowing you to exist in it and apparently destroy it. And those are my rights. Sure, she's got a right to privacy, but at any time I'm legally allowed to enter uh, the room, any room in the house. I'm allowed to take the phone that I pay for and search through every last corner of its memory. I'm allowed to dig through closets and desk drawers, backpacks, and anything else I so choose, for I am dad man. Of course, these days, we've got useless activists that are trying to take the rights of parents from them, and they can go suck an egg, but these rights of mine only exist because I'm dad. I can't go over to a friend's house and do the same thing. This is how you get labeled things and are forced to register on a database. I also can come to your house and demand entry, but this goes farther than citizen to citizen. Authority figures aren't allowed into your or my home either unless we give them explicit permission or they've obtained specific permission to do so. Hello and welcome back to episode 23 of the American Genesis part 5 of our look at the amendments to the Constitution, currently the Bill of Rights. Today we're looking at Amendment 4. So let's read the actual text. Quote, The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. The bottom line is that you kind of have the right to tell the authorities to uh, get out of my room. Or more accurately, don't come into my room. As long as they don't have official paperwork stating that they have the right to come in, whether you want them to or not. At the time of declaring independence and the writing of the Constitution, the colonists had just come through a period of time where the rights they felt they should have, like, you know, privacy, had been violated on a regular basis. 
This wasn't done so much by police or soldiers. This was being done by tax collectors. The colonists were mandated to pay duties or taxes on a large number, if not all, imported goods. But as expected, not everyone wanted to pay those taxes, so they'd try to skirt the authorities. Well, because the king had issued what amounted to general warrants for the tax collectors, they could enter a home at their pleasure and pretty much turn it upside down looking for anything they should have paid duties on, but didn't. The tax collectors could then seize anything they claimed hadn't had taxes paid on it. This, of course, wasn't widely accepted by the colonists. Well, after the death of King George II, James Otis sought a hearing in the courts regarding the general warrants, or writs of assistance, which amounted to basically the same thing as a general warrant. He wanted the new king, King George III, to not do the same thing by reissuing these warrants and writs. He lost, but his name and this fight for privacy was now in the public arena. Because of this newfound notoriety, he was elected to the Massachusetts Colonial Legislature, getting a piece of legislation passed that barred these general writs of assistance and made it law that a judge had to issue special writs, individually, after all pertinent justification had been given under oath. Again, Otis lost. This was overturned by the governor because it didn't align with English law. Well, in 1776, Virginia included in their Declaration of Rights a clause that forbade the use of general warrants. In 1780, back in Massachusetts again, now writing their Declaration of Rights, John Adams added the requirement to any warrant that the search must be reasonable. By 1784, eight states included some provision against general warrants in their constitutions. This brings us to the writing, signing, and ratification of the Constitution, and finally to the Bill of Rights, which contains the Fourth Amendment. Over time, a series of lawsuits have been filed that have tested and defined the Fourth Amendment, and no doubt there will be more, especially as we continue moving deeper into the digital age, social media, the metaverse, if that actually takes off, I have my doubts, AI, and the idea of transhumanism, you know, implanting the memories of a deceased individual into some sort of a cyborg, I know that's a ham-fisted way of describing it. That works well enough, though. But what does this actually do? How does this apply to us today? Well, I mean, it applies to us in just about every way. If your neighbor, a family member, a stranger comes into your house, that's trespassing. If that person takes your stuff, that's theft. Those are protections afforded to us by the law against breaking and entering and robbery. But if that person is a tax collector, or more likely today, someone from law enforcement, regardless of agency, this amendment says that they aren't allowed to do any of that either. Now, I found a site with a very good list with the court ruling associated with each item on the list. I'll put the link in the notes, but I'll give you their list here. The article is found on uscourts.gov. The headline is, What Does the Fourth Amendment Mean? They give a list of protections afforded to us and exceptions to those protections. And although you may never have need of this list, I'd suggest that you do know your rights, especially if you're one of those Bible-reading, gun-toting, freedom-loving right-wingers, as this information may come in handy in the not-too-distant future. So, in the home, quote, "...searches and seizures inside a home without a warrant are presumptively unreasonable." However, there are some exceptions. A warrantless search may be lawful if an officer is given consent to search, if the search is incident to a lawful arrest, if there is probable cause to search and exigent circumstances, 
if the items are in plain view. Okay, so your home is your property. Unless the police have a warrant, they aren't allowed in. However, if you were to let them in, then anything they see can be used against you. And anything they see could be enough to allow them to claim probable cause to search more. Now, if you're like most of us that say, well, I'm not worried about it. I have nothing to hide. That may be true. I hope that's true. But you don't know what they're looking for or how they may use what they see against you. The best thing to do, and I know this sounds cold, kind of is, is to keep them outside, door closed behind you, and discuss out on the front step what's going on. If they have a warrant, you obey the warrant, regardless of if you agree or not. But if they're just coming by because they, you know, got a tip or a complaint or whatever, that doesn't give them the right to come in and check things out. Regarding your person, quote, When an officer observes unusual conduct, which leads him reasonably to conclude that criminal activity may be afoot, the officer may briefly stop the suspicious person and make reasonable inquiries aimed at confirming or dispelling the officer's suspicions. So, if this were to happen, be polite, obey commands, answer questions, but be very aware of the fact that you are speaking to law enforcement. Don't drone on and on and on. Just answer exactly what they've asked. It doesn't mean you have to be nasty. You definitely want to be polite. But you're under no obligation to give long, drawn-out answers full of elaboration on something that has nothing to do with their original question. Regarding schools, quote, School officials need not obtain a warrant before searching a student who was under their authority. Rather, a search of a student needs only be reasonable under all circumstances. <laughs> well, kiddos, once again as minors, your rights are lesser. The same rules apply. Be polite. Answer the questions that are asked. Don't be obstructive. If you're being wronged in some way, if rights are being violated, that can be handled through the legal system later. It's better to have clean hands when facing the judge. Finally, what about your car? Quote, Where there is probable cause to believe that a vehicle contains evidence of a criminal activity, an officer may lawfully search any area of the vehicle in which the evidence might be found. An officer may conduct a traffic stop if he has reasonable suspicion that a traffic violation has occurred. An officer may conduct a pat-down of the driver and passengers during a lawful traffic stop the police need not believe that any occupant of the vehicle is involved in a criminal activity. The use of a narcotics detection dog to walk around the exterior of a car subject to a valid traffic stop does not require reasonable, explainable suspicion. Special law enforcement concerns will sometimes justify highway stops without any individualized suspicion. An officer at an international border may conduct routine stops and searches. A state may use highway sobriety checkpoints for the purpose of combating drunk driving. A state may set up highway checkpoints where the stops are brief and seek voluntary cooperation in the investigation of a recent crime that has occurred on that highway. However, a state may not use a highway checkpoint program whose primary purpose is the discovery and interdiction of illegal narcotics. Okay, it's a lot of rules and exceptions there. 
Bottom line, follow directions. Again, be polite. If you feel any of your rights are being violated, it's better to handle those later through the legal system and do it with the ability to show that you complied rather than to walk before a judge after being arrested for obstruction. One area this list doesn't touch on is the electronic, the digital world. Realistically, all of our data is, you know, out there somewhere. If you have a driver's license, a credit card, a bank account, if you've ever bought anything online, if you have a computer, a cell phone, if someone wants to find you badly enough, they can not only find you, but they can find out everything about you. And I would say that most of our law enforcement agencies have some of the best tools available to make that happen. According to an article on NPR.org from 2013, quote, Since the 1960s and 1970s, the Supreme Court and other courts have issued a series of rulings declaring that the government does not need a search warrant to obtain your personal documents if you have already shared them with somebody else. For instance, since you allow your bank and credit card company to know what you buy, and since you let your phone company know whom you call, you can't claim that information is private. Many of the most intimate details of your life that you use to protect at home morphed into digital documents. When you send an email, you've shared it with the internet provider. When you search the web, you've shared it with the web company. When you walk around with your cell phone, you're sharing with the cell phone company your whereabouts. All of that information has lost its constitutional protection, and the government can get it without having to make any showing that you're engaged in illegal activity or suspicious activity. So in this digital age, police often do not need to show probable cause of a crime when they want to find out details about your life that they used to find in your home. Instead, they can get your private files from corporations that store your records on their computers. And instead of a search warrant, the police might just need a subpoena, which is trivially easy to issue, says Bankston of the Center for Democracy and Technology. Law enforcement doesn't need a judge's approval to obtain subpoenas. Prosecutors can sign them on their own, as can authorized employees at federal and state agencies. And law enforcement agents don't need evidence that there's likely a crime. They need only to be able to show that the records they want are relevant to an investigation. All right. All that said, remember that was in 2013. In 2018, a ruling by the Supreme Court found that in a case where the government demanded seven days of GPS data from a cell phone provider for a specific user without a warrant, that they were in violation of the Fourth Amendment. So I think the lesson with regard to personal electronic devices and the digital realm is that we just don't really have a great answer yet. The ever-changing world of digital will ultimately require the courts to interpret the Fourth Amendment in relation to such devices. Now, for us personally, though, we don't have to show anyone the contents of our cell phones or computers or our watches or anything else unless they provide a warrant or we've given them reasonable cause to search. And even that is likely a gray area. So, as I wrap up this episode of The American Genesis, I hope I've given you some things to think about. The best tip I can give you is to, uh, you know, don't break the law. After that, being polite but firm with regard to your rights would be the right thing to do. Don't say anything beyond directly and succinctly answering questions that they ask. Don't show them anything they don't have the rights to see. But again, don't break the law. Be polite, but be compliant. Deal with any perceived violations of your rights of privacy later, but make sure you can do it with clean hands. And with that, I'll wrap up this episode of The American Genesis. Until next time. 
Well, we've reached the end of another episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, review, share, and all that podcasty stuff. Contact information can be found in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to me. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless. Well, the time has come for update number one. This probably won't be fun, but let's get her done. And now I'm going to stop that before I have to beat my own self up. So this type of update will, or should, get better as I get farther into this. I've just kind of cobbled this together on a little tracking sheet for some of the things that you are holding me accountable for. So that said, here we go. The goals I'm going to allow you to hold my feet to the fire on are my fitness goal of losing 1.5 pounds per week on average, my educational goal of reading an average of 300 pages per month, my spiritual goals of averaging five days per week of starting my day with devotions, staying on track to finish my Bible in a year that's taking much longer than a year by the end of September, and my prayer goal starting with making a solid plan by the end of February, and then we'll go from there. So, without further ado, or a don't, all of my progress will be as of the Tuesday prior to this podcast. Regarding my weight loss, in the first week I lost 1.4 pounds as compared to my goal of 1.5 pounds per week average. I give this a light green for on track. I mean, we're right there, right? Now that put me at 213.0 pounds as of Tuesday, and so many to go. Regarding my reading, as of Tuesday, I had knocked out 428 pages so far in January as compared to my goal of 300 per month, so that goal is a solid green. Incidentally, I'll tell you the books I'm finishing, if you're curious. At the end of last year and beginning of this year, and yes, I'm taking January credit for the entire book, I read the latest in the Richard Paul Evans series of Michael Vay books. This one is entitled The Parasite. Uh, this is classified as a teen and young adult fiction, science fiction type of book. This is actually book eight in the series that started a number of years ago with the intention of only being seven books in the series, and that was it. But to the delight of we, his fans, he's decided to continue the series. No idea how many books he's going to have in total. I'm hoping a lot. If you're looking for something to read, I would give this one two thumbs up. However, I'd highly recommend you go back to the beginning of the series. Start back with book one and work your way up. You won't regret it. Okay, moving on. With regard to being on track to finish my Bible in a year by the end of September. All right, I kind of toyed around with how to do this. I think the easiest way to report this is as a percentage. So if I'm at 100%, it means I'm right on track. Over 100%, I'm ahead of schedule. Under 100%, I'm behind. So as of Tuesday, I was at 67.5% of my goal. Don't yell at me. That's a good deal behind. But in my defense, I hadn't set any goals at the beginning of the year, and I started off way behind on this one. We'll catch up, though. As of today, to give you an idea, I'm actually at 80% right now. So catching up fairly quickly. I gave this one a solid red since it's well behind right now. And finally, devotions. I'm scoring this the same way as the Bible reading, and I give the same caveat that I did to the Bible reading, but as of last Tuesday, I was at 82.4% of my goal, so a little bit behind, and as I did with the Bible reading, I'll give you an update. As of today, I'm actually over 88% of the goal, so we're catching up on this one also. I'm going to give this one a light red. 
And that's it. That's where I am right now. A solid red on Bible, a light red on devotions, a light green on weight loss, and a solid green on book reading. You can take from that what you'd like. Hopefully this makes sense. If you have any comments or suggestions, let me know. And I'm hoping that you're working on setting and meeting your goals as well. Bye for now.